Hey friends, welcome back to another Seed Talk with Lisa and Lane. Hey Lane. Hello. So glad to be here today. And Lane, what in the world are we talking about today? So as you probably know, plants can be propagated multiple ways. One of them, of course, is by seeds, which is why this podcast is called Seed Talk. But another way that some plants can be propagated is by something called stem cuttings. And today we're going to talk about how Lisa actually propagates two different types of salvia via stem cuttings in pretty large quantities every single year. So we're going to kind of walk through all the steps and help you understand how you can propagate these types of salvia for yourself if you're interested in growing them. Awesome. That is such a great flower too. I mean, such a simple thing to do and such a beautiful reward at the end from doing it. Awesome. It is. It's fun and it's a great way to increase your stock of plants for basically free. It's just the cost of the soil and that type of thing. Yeah. All right, let's get started. Okay. So why do you grow salvia lucantha and salvia mexicana? And also why do you have to take cuttings every year to propagate them? So both of those, Salvia lucanthia and Mexicana, uh, I was first drawn to them because they bloom so late in the season, like late summer when we're like ready for something new and, uh, you know, something just a little bit different than what we've been growing all summer. So I was first introduced to um, Salvia lucanthia through a mutual friend who gave me a plant and said, um, you know, here, give this a try. Well, it's just so happens about that same time. This was a long time ago. I read an article in the Growing for Market newsletter about how, I think her name was Josie, wrote an article of how she saves one plant from year to year and she takes cuttings. And so she gave the step-by-steps, which she kept saying, this is so easy. It's not hard at all and encouraged me to do it. And then I was introduced to Mexicana several years later by another flower farm and friend. And here we are all these years later, and I grow them every year. And why do you not just leave them planted out in your garden over the winter and rely on that plant stock for the next year? Sure. So I live in zone 7B, 8A, literally right on the line, and they are not reliably winter hardy here. They are perennial for some folks that live probably in 8B, 9, and South, um, where you don't go deep diving in the wintertime. And I will say that Salvia lacanthia is much more winter hardy than Mexicana. Um, Our lacanthia actually survived the polar blast this year. I just saw the shoots yesterday. I was out investigating. So um, so that's a benefit. Sometimes they will winter over, but I never rely on that. Yeah. And something else I also want to mention when we're talking about propagating, there are certain plants, certain cultivars that are patented. Those are things that you don't want to be propagating, right, Lisa, especially in a farm setting. Exactly. Because, you know, if we want to continue to have people to do plant breeding and to go through all of those steps, The only way they actually get paid for those years of work is by royalties and, you know, by people buying the plant over and over again. So, um, you know, people, it's kind of like stealing, basically, when you propagate a patented plant. And yes, we are, we are the patent police. We don't encourage that behavior at all. Yes. And are there specific cultivars that you actually grow of these two plants or is it just the species? 
It's just the species. I am not familiar with individual names. And because so often um, they are shared plants, you don't always get that information with them. Yes. Yeah. And to describe the flowers on these two salvias that you grow, Lisa, the salvia leucantha has these beautiful purple flower spikes and the salvia mexicana has spikes with a gorgeous chartreuse color. And the color on these spikes is typically coming from the calices and the petals of the flowers are actually white for salvia leucantha and a rich purple blue color for salvia mexicana. Yes. So are these herbaceous perennials? Do they die back to the ground level every year? Yes. So the Mexicana, I have never successfully wintered over, but the Lacanthia definitely does. Although we leave those dead stems up because it's just such a great pollinator plant. We know that there's somebody using it during the winter, whether it's for hiding or eating insects off of it. Okay. How do you actually overwinter your plants? Because you're talking about saving one mother plant, you might call it every year. And that's what you'll take your cuttings from the next year. How do you actually overwinter the plants? Sure. So first off, for the plantings that are out in the garden, we typically mulch them with leaves deeply just to maintain a weed-free environment, right? And that sometimes will carry them over out in the garden. However, we always overwinter what I call the mother plant. Um, and she oftentimes, it's usually three plants in a large container, like we use 15 gallon old tree pots, pots that trees came in, um, plant three plants in there. And that's where they live. They live in that pot from year to year. It stays out on my patio all season. But then when deep winter hits, we drag that pot indoors to protect it from those below freezing temperatures. It'll actually take a little below freezing, but when it goes to freezing, I just bring it in. It's basically dormant. You don't really have to do anything for it. It just kind of sits in the corner and takes up space, but I know the plant is still alive. And then we just pull it back out when early spring comes and it starts to grow for me to take cuttings from. Okay, so now let's talk about the actual act of taking the cuttings. So what tools and supplies does someone need? And also what soil mix should they use? And I'm going to pull up an image here of some of the different tools that you might need. Great. So, and if you friends, if you're listening to this on a podcast app, Lane puts together a beautiful slideshow that you can jump on over to YouTube and actually see what we're talking about here. So um, the tools that you need is I use the same clippers that I use to do all my harvesting with to harvest the stems. Um, I do use rooting hormone powder that just speeds up the process because again, you know, it's the slow boat that gets into trouble, you know, so we definitely use a hormone, which just speeds up that rooting. Um, and then you can either use soil blocks, which in the image, that is the Swift Blocker Mini 27, which is an inch and a half block, which is absolutely perfect for this. Um, I was really, really pleased how that came out. Or if you can do it like I've always used to do it before the Swift Blocker came along, is I used a 128 plug tray. Okay, so for the plug tray, I would use just simply a 50-50 mix of finished compost and any good quality potting soil mixed together. But for the Swift Blocker, it's just the regular blocking mix that we use for all of our blocks. And you need a cup of water. 
Yes, you do. So what stage of growth or what time of year should someone take their cutting? So let's say their plants are slowly waking up. When is the best time to actually take the cuttings off those plants? So funny you should ask this because this year I waited a little bit longer than I normally do because we've been so busy around here. And because I suspected, because I saw a couple of shoots, I thought "Mm, maybe they are coming back. I don't have to rush to get some, right? So my plants probably had about 15 to 18 inch growths of stems on the plants, which meant that the tips of those new shoots weren't quite as young and fleshy as they have been in the past. So I have now learned and been reminded that a more mature stem, more of the stem is usable as a cutting when it's a little bit hardened off. You don't want it real fleshy, like the very, very tip of the stem that you cut um, is that very, very tip is most likely not usable. But after they've gone for, you know, grown 15 inches, the the good portion of the stem will actually be usable. So you can do it basically at any time, but you want to do it early in the season so your plant has time to get rooted and then get planted outside to get growing before it blooms. Yes. And salvia is actually in the mint family and a lot of things in the mint family root very easily from stem cutting. So if you're just getting into cuttings, salvia is a really good one to experiment with. Yeah. Okay. So can you talk about how to actually take the cuttings and how to prepare them? So maybe you could start with how long of a cutting do you take? So I cut the stems to prepare for, to make cuttings. I can make that cut on the plant, just like I was cutting it as a cut flower. So I cut it all the way down, almost at ground level, because I want more shoots to come and to come from the base of the plant. So I cut the full length of that stem. But then, as you can see in the image, then I cut that stem up into about two to three inch pieces with foliage at the top of it. Um, and you're, the, the, the cutting itself only needs to be as deep as it's going to go in the soil and have about uh, half to one inch sticking above the soil. Yeah. So for each little cutting that you're preparing, do you try to trim the stem below a pair of leaf nodes and then strip off those lower leaves? Yes. And so I cut right above the next two leaf nodes. And then I have um, found that removing as much foliage off of the cutting, except you need to leave one little piece. So the image that we're looking at, interestingly enough, the the one on the right um, is the Mexicana. And those ones that you see that have the little shoots, those are the ones that are thriving versus all the ones that have a big piece of vegetation, it just doesn't look good anymore. So you can tell there's just not enough movement of, you know, nutrients and everything going through that stem into the plant. So um, I would say you can even cut two thirds of that one leaf that you're going to leave on the cutting. You can cut two thirds of that off. Yeah. A lot of water is lost through the leaves during transpiration. So reducing the amount of leaves and even the surface area of large leaves, like you mentioned, Lisa, is going to help reduce water loss for that cutting. Yep. You just want one little piece of some kind of vegetation, whether it's an older leaf or a new sprout, it just needs um, some vegetation on the cutting. All right. So you have your little cutting prepared. 
And then how do you implement the rooting powder? So the rooting powder just encourages the roots to actually form. I mean, it provides and gives whatever it needs to do that. So I dip the bottom of that stem cutting into water. And um, usually I take the rooting hormone, which you can see that's in the big jar. If you see the lid sitting down below, I typically tap a little bit into that lid. And that's what I actually roll the bottom of that stem cutting in um, just so I don't contaminate the whole container. And then I've also pre-made holes in whatever I'm sticking the, the cutting in, whether it be a plug tray or a soil block, so that it doesn't scrape the rooting hormone hormone off as I'm sticking it in. Right. Um, yeah. So it were, it's so quick and easy. It really is a very simple process. So do you have to use rooting hormone? Cause I know there are going to be some people listening or watching that maybe they don't have it. Do they absolutely have to use it? Or is it something that's optional that just kind of boosts your success rate? Sure. So no, you do not have to use it, but again, it just speeds up the process in my experience. Um, and so the rooting hormone is just like part of what helps you get quicker roots. And I will tell you that I probably used the same little bottle of rooting hormone for years. And that was yeah. me using it for a lot of cutting. So it's just one more of those little tools to have in your tool belt that just makes that process quicker. So you're less likely to lose them to rotting. Yes. And it's relatively inexpensive too. So yeah. it is just a good little tool to have in your kit. Okay, so now you have your cuttings stuck in either your plug trays or your soil blocks. Do these cuttings need to be placed under lights? And is it helpful to put them on a heat mat? So I actually kind of follow the same process as when I start seeds. I place those trays onto the seedling heat mat just to warm the soil up a little bit to kind of encourage that whole growing process, right? Um, and so they've been on that for a couple of three days and I'm getting ready to move them off of the heat. And yes, I will put them under grow lights, which will continue to keep them kind of warm, but also provide the light that they need. And what is your indicator for when to move them off the heat mat and under the grow lights? You know, I did not pick one of the blocks up yet and look at them because they're in blocks now instead of plug trays. Plug trays I used to just peek under the bottom of the plug tray and you would see one little root coming out the drainage hole. Um, I did not do that for um, the blocks yet, but I will tell you that I can tell that the sprouts are growing. So I know that the process is happening. So I've moved them over to the grow lights is where they're going. All right. And what room temperature is ideal? And can someone place them outside instead of growing them on inside? Well, it's kind of that same theory about starting seeds on they, they for the whole process to start and to encourage that it needs to be warm. And as we know, soil masses are about 15 to 20 degrees cooler than the surrounding air temperature. So it needs to be a pretty warm room, like 90 degrees or more to really warm that soil up. So that's why we place them onto the seedling heat mat. And I mean, if you're in the deep South where it's you know in the nineties all day and it doesn't get much cooler at night, yes but just know that it'll speed up the whole process being on heat. Yeah. And we want these cuttings to root as quickly as possible to reduce the chances of them rotting. Yes. And that leads right to my next question. So you don't want the cuttings to dry out, but you also don't want them sitting in overly wet, 
waterlogged soil. That's going to put them at risk of rotting. So do you actually water your cuttings and how do you strike a balance of moist, but not too wet? I do. And again, that's that important piece that the heat mat plays because that dries the soil out so that you can give it that moisture to help um, create, start that process. Right. But they're not going to sit there because you're right. I mean, cool temperatures, watering them every day, they would rot for sure. So yes, the heat definitely helps with that. Yeah. So how long do you typically think it takes them to root and what is your success rate what percentage of the cuttings would you say end up rooting? Sure. So I would say, and it again really depends on the environment they're in, but you should see some kind of root formation within the first week. And then you just want it to grow into, I mean, all of a sudden you'll have sprouts coming up. I mean, they'll start to grow like a little plant that you put in a pot, right? Um, so I wait to plant them out once they look like they're growing vegetation. Then we set them outside and harden them off, you know, get them acclimated to the outdoor conditions. Um, and I would say we have a high rate of success, but there's always, and what I'm noticing, um, is almost always those, the fleshy tip part, the part that you think is the prettiest on that stem cutting you took are the ones that fail. They just aren't mature enough. And I think they get very susceptible to the whole rotting process. Um, So it's really hard, but I I have started just kind of cutting that tip off and trashing it and using the, the, not the woody, but the more developed, harder parts of the stem. Okay. And how can you tell these cuttings are ready to be planted out into the garden? is when you see top growth, you know, when you start seeing either the sprouts that were there starting to elongate, you know, you can tell they're growing um, and you can fertilize them just like you do seedlings. Once they start that, once they've gotten rooted, then once a week, add your organic um, seaweed fish fertilizer to their can, to your watering can once a week to give them a little bit of nutrition. And, you know, usually within three weeks, you know, they're ready to go. And out at the farm, Lisa, you put two rows of these in a 30-inch bed with the plants spaced six inches apart in each row, and they get around four to five feet tall for you. Correct. Okay, and then you already kind of mentioned this, but when do they flower? What time of year, and how did you use them as a commercial flower farmer? So they definitely start blooming later in the summer, so like August. Um, We have learned to allow them to kind of, just like that cutting, They are so beautiful when they're nice and fresh and fleshy as they just begin to bloom. Um, But at that point, they're have a very strong fragrance, which is okay. But in general, more than one stem can really be overpowering in a home environment. Um, And they're kind of hard to hydrate. You'll cut them and strip them. But then the tips of the purple um, blooms of the leucanthia will just wilt and there's just nothing you can do. We have learned to let them start blooming, let the bumblebees, the bumblebees are particularly fond of these flowers, which of course are native bees. Um, So we've learned to leave them in the garden to resist cutting them right when they first bloom. And that not only allows the blooms to firm up and get mature, but it also the fragrance dissipates some. So it makes it much more manageable. Um, And then the the Mexicana, 
Um, the bucket picture that you're looking at where it's all green, that is actually the buds. That is before it's actually bloomed. And that is our goal. That's our goal on how to use it. You have to really find that sweet spot in your garden where you can cut it before it starts to open, but yet it's mature enough not to wilt. Because if you see the picture next to it, you can see the little purple flowers that come out of those buds. Well, those flowers are very short-lived and they fall off fairly quickly, like after 24 to 36 hours. And when they drop off and dry up, they look just like rodent droppings on a tabletop. Um, and it really upsets people. So <laughs> we use the Mexicana primarily for our customers doing events. Um, we didn't so much put them into mixed bouquets for a long life application, but our event florist um, and florist used them knowing that to use them as they were butted up before they actually open. So you cut these two different types of salvia at two different stages. Yes. Exactly. So these salvias can be used as cut flowers, like Lisa just described, but they're also such striking plants in a landscape setting. Yeah. They add a lot of late season interest. Pollinators love them. And they're just a really valuable plant to have in your garden. They are super. I mean, if you want for a pollinator garden, this is a great late summer bloomer. Well, that was our episode for today. I hope we've inspired you all to try some salvia cuttings for yourself. It's really, really fun. And I think you're going to love doing stem cuttings if you haven't done them before. If you want to try propagating something other than salvia, leucantha, and mexicana, just know that not all plants can be propagated by stem cuttings. And even if they can, there might be different stages of growth when it's ideal to take those cuttings. So just do some research if you're propagating something other than the two species of salvia we mentioned today. Yeah. And make sure to leave us a rating or review in a podcast app and a like and comment over on YouTube. And don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss any of our episodes. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks for that great slideshow, Lane. And remember, friends, this podcast is brought to you by thegardenersworkshop.com. And if you want to learn more about the work we're doing, head on over there. So friends, until we meet again, bye, Lane. Bye. Bye.